for women, when I, when I train about how women are different than men, I often will give the parallel that men are like the sun and women are like the moon. So when we think about men, they will go through their entire hormonal milieu in about a 24 hour period. They will cycle through their testosterone and estrogen patterns in about a day. And for women, we will cycle through our testosterone and estrogen and progesterone and LSH and FSA, like all of our patterns, not in a, not in a 24 hour period, but in about a 20, 28 or 29 day period. I am a woman on a mission that is dedicated to teaching you just how powerful your body was built to be. I like to do that by bringing you the latest science, the greatest thought leaders and applicable steps that help you tap into your own internal healing power. The purpose of this podcast is to give you the power back and help you believe in yourself again. My name is Dr. Mindy Pels, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. On this episode of the Resetter Podcast, do I have a treat for you? Hopefully, those of you that have been following me for the last several years know that I have become obsessed with helping women understand how to map simple lifestyle tools like exercise and eating and fasting and supplements and sleep. How do we map all of that to our hormonal needs? Now, here's the crazy part is every woman has a different hormonal need and you have different hormonal needs at different times of the month and different ages. So as you all know, for example, a postmenopausal woman has massively different hormonal needs than a 25-year-old woman trying to get pregnant. And our lifestyle needs to be matched to these needs. And there are it's difficult to have really in-depth discussions with experts on this topic. But have I found an expert for you? This was one of my most favorite conversations I've had all year. And it was with Dr. Stephanie Estima. She is the author of The Betty Body. So go check out her book on Amazon. She is a doctor doctor of chiropractic and has a special interest in metabolism, body composition, functional neurology, and she takes all of that and maps it to female physiology. So it doesn't matter what age you are, you are going to benefit from the information that we talked about in this episode. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of some hints as to what you're going to hear. So for starters, let's talk about understanding our hormones in the first place. So we started at the beginning. How should we map out our hormones? How should we look at our hormones? So all women and men, you're going to benefit from this as well. If you have have a woman in your life that you love, you're going to want to hear this conversation. So how, what do we need to know about our hormones? Then we go into talking about how we can change our exercise according to our hormonal needs, how we can change our food. She even dives into sleep. She has a whole theory around morning routine for women needs to be different than men. We even dive dove into understanding how we can talk to our doctors differently and help our doctors understand our hormonal needs. This was such a rich conversation. The two of us, we could have talked all day long. So Dr. Stephanie Estima, 
This one is going to blow your mind, as I hope all my interviews do, but this one has holds a very special place in my heart, as women need to hear this. Dr. Stephanie Estima, get ready. This one is going to change the paradigm of health for you. Hey, Recenters, as we step into the new year, I am so thrilled to invite you on an extremely transformative journey with me in my Reset Academy. So check this out. If you're ready to kickstart your fasting and health journey, which I know so many of you have reached out to us and asked how you customize a fasting lifestyle for you, my Reset Academy is the absolute best place to be. So here's what you get in the academy, and I like to think of it in terms of a complete picture. So imagine being surrounded by people who understand your journey, who are passionate for fasting, who want to lift you up and will support you every step of the way. My academy is not just me, my team, but it is an incredible group of people that are all dedicated to building fasting lifestyles and supporting each other in it. This is why I created the Reset Academy. So when you join, you gain access to all the exclusive calls where my team and I share the latest insights, we answer your burning questions, and we guide you towards your health goals. That's not it. We didn't stop there. By becoming a member, you're not just investing in a membership, but you're investing in yourself. I am such a fan of setting you up to win this year. And my academy is the best place I know to do that. I want to keep you focused. I want you to customize this for you. And I want you to succeed at your health goals this year. End of story. So if you're ready to unlock your fullest potential and embrace a fasting lifestyle, join me. If it feels good, join me. And let's make this year an incredible year for us all. So all you got to do is go visit drmindypels.com slash reset academy to become a member. I can't wait to welcome you. I can't wait to see you on the Zoom calls. I can't wait to be in community with you. And most importantly, let's get your health goals handled and let's do this together. It's so much better together. Together. So that's drmindypels.com slash reset academy. Excited to see you there. So I, here's where I want to start this conversation. I feel like you and I have very similar philosophical uh, messages to women. And I have been interviewing so many women on this platform um, that aren't looking at their lifestyle mantras or their lifestyle approaches and mapping that to her hormonal cycles. So I really want to start this conversation off with a thank you to start with. Like I just am grateful to be having this conversation with you and that more of us are trying to help women map exercise and food and all the things that we do in our life to keep us healthy, how we can map it to our cycle. But my first question to you is, why do you think we have this huge gapping hole in women's health as far as advice on lifestyle choices mapped to a menstrual cycle? 
Oh, this is a good place to start, man. Uh, all right. So I'll say that, you know, first of all, I think that um, with the work that you're doing, uh, the work that I'm doing, I think in a few, you know, hopefully it's just in a few short years that you won't even find any practitioner who is not willing to say, okay, we're going to create a plan for you, but first we need to understand what your menstrual cycle looks like. And I think that, you know, for too long, it's been, we derive our protocols from evidence-based literature, right? Which is great. That's what we want. We don't want to be just pulling out numbers and things from the air. Um, There's, there's a couple of problems. So first, most of the research traditionally that we find in PubMed and the literature at large, as it relates to metabolism, as it relates to reducing obesity, you know, type two diabetes, you know, cerebrovascular, cardiovascular disease, all of these things, a body composition, most of the test subjects historically have been men. And it's not that the, I don't think that there's been malicious intent here. I don't think that it's been like, you know what, these women, they're just too extra. But what has happened is that we have been excluded because our menstrual cycle presents a confounding variable to these very strict rigors that if you're doing, for example, a randomized control trial, all that you're doing is you're trying to manipulate one variable and see how that one manip, one that, that one manipulation is going to alter the two cohorts. So if you have a woman who is cycling, uh, one of the, you know, any, you know, any woman under 55 really, or, you know, whenever you transition into menopause in your early fifties, um, you'll find that she's different every single day of the month, right? She's got a different hormone. And over the course of a month, of course, she, that's how she runs through her entire hormonal milieu. So that in and of itself, from a research perspective, when you're just trying to change one thing is changing, you know, it's changing daily. So, you know, you can understand it from a, you know, in the strictest sense of, we really just want to see what happens when we fast, you know, obese subjects, and we just want to look at what the outcome is going to be. And there is some literature on obese, like when we, when we manipulate fasting as a variable, for example, or ketogenic diet or, you know, whatever, whatever, uh, you know, thing you're looking at, we do see a a lot more abundant literature with obese subjects, but for someone with a body composition like you or me, or maybe, you know, maybe has five or 10 pounds to lose, you know, something like that, though that population isn't really studied. So if you're looking to look into longevity, how I can increase my lifespan. How can I increase not only the the years that I live, but the years that are spent healthy? There's actually not a lot. So um, as it pertains to females. So that's part of the reason why I wrote uh, my book, The Betty Body, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit today. Yep. Um, but I think that that's, you know, maybe a long-winded answer, but generally I think we've generally been ignored. The protocols that we derive have been for men by men. And what we're finding now is that when women apply these things over time, we have very different results. Yeah, we do. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, we do. So, okay. It's interesting because in just listening to you, I'm thinking, well, then it's near impossible for women to be studied because there's too many variables. And if it's near impossible for us to do research studies that are women only, 
then will we struggle to be able to get the attention of just, let's say, the medical community that is really driven by research articles to determine best practices and treatments? Well, this is this raises a really this is an excellent question and I think when we're looking at evidence-based protocols, if we just look at the definition of evidence-based medicine, it is taking what's available from the literature which you know, to your point, we need more work. We need more um, studies that are looking at not only the menstrual cycle, but how, you know, you pro- how, what the mitochondria, what are some of the changes in the mitochondria over the course of the, what are the sleep patterns? That would be amazing. Right. That so that amazing. we can so that we can control for those things. You can, in your statistical analyses, you can, you can, you can, um, you can look at the mathematics and you can, you can uh, regulate for that. But that's not the only piece of evidence-based medicine. And I think that a lot of people really get stuck on like, is it a double blind RCT and where's the meta-analysis for the, you know, where's the Mendelian, you know, but what you, the other pieces to evidence-based medicine is a, you have the literature, what's available in the lit. The other piece is the clinician's expertise, which is often not considered. So is the clinician familiar, for example, with female physiology? Does she or he have female patients? Has she in the clinical application of some of these protocols, has she observed patterns or things that are common and can she control for them or he control for them? And then the other piece of evidence-based medicine, which is almost never discussed, is the patient's goals. Yeah, so, so when true. you sort, when you think of these th- three things, now you have an overlapping Venn diagram of literature, clinician experience and pattern recognition and the goals and dreams of the patient. It's not just what's available on PubMed. So yeah, that would be my answer to that. And then the other, the other piece of it, of course, is I would just love to see more clinicians, more doctors listening to women and not dismissing them. Like lack of evidence is not evidence of lack, right? Because there's not a double randomized control. That doesn't mean that this isn't true for this woman. So um, yeah, that's again, that's sort of my views on that. Like there's a lot more evidence-based than just what's available on PubMed. Oh, I, I could not agree with you more. I have heard, and I'm sure you get the same thing. I have heard so many women who are frustrated feeling unheard and it's, and it starts in her doctor's office and what unheard looks like is take this pill for the rest of your life. Or you, you know, we see it with the menopausal women. You now are gaining weight just because you're going through menopause, or maybe your problems all will be solved with an antidepressant. And that this has to stop. This is not okay. And I, for me, what I feel like we've got to do is we have to empower each woman to be able to ask really good questions to her doctor or whoever is is c- coming up with a health plan for her. So help um, my listeners understand what would that look like if I walk into my doctor's office and I let's say get a, a thyroid bunch of thyroid tests done on me. And the doctor comes back and says, okay, you just have to take thyroid medication. That'll solve your problems. What kind of questions can I ask my doctor to get him or her thinking at a deeper level about my hormonal needs? Oh, this is good. This is going to be a fun podcast. So. <laughs> I'm a deep thinker. Yes, you are. You are. 
So I think even before we get to that, it's necessary to go just one more step up. And that is to understand when you are going to any type of practitioner, whether it's a medical doctor, a naturopath, a chiropractor, an osteopath, whatever, whatever regulated health professional you are going to, you have to understand what their philosophy around health is, because that is going to be a big predictor of the types of interventions that are going to be recommended to you. So, and this is changing, but generally we see more allopathic physicians, more conventional physicians who have been sort of, you know, born and raised in the medical uh, establishment, uh, what I would probably call more, there's, there's consensus medicine, which is maybe an entirely different uh, topic, but they are very likely going to give, as you mentioned, you know, a woman who's perimenopausal or menopausal, she's going to be put on the pill. She's going to be put on the statin. She's going to be put on, you know, she's going to be put on all these, like the pill when you're perimenopause. It's like, are you kidding me? Right. right? right. Well, anytime. Or what about when you're 15 and oh, right. this will solve all your problems, your right. hormonal problems. That's a right. whole problem. That's a whole, uh, I mean, that's a whole other beast, but right. yes. Exactly. So you have to be, you have to understand what type of response you're most likely to get from, for example, an allopathic physician versus more of, you know, what's called CAM, right? So complementary and alternative medicine. So that might fall, you might see chiropractic under there, naturopathy in there, uh, osteopathy sort of, you know, kind of as a switch hitter sometimes, depending on where you go. Um, So, you know, you'll, you, you sort of have to understand generally the philosophical underpinnings and premise of that practitioner. And that's really going to help you predict what kind of, what kind of outcomes you're likely or what kind of answers you're likely to get from that practitioner. Now, if you are going in, let's say to your conventional GP, your primary healthcare provider who happens to be a medical doctor, um, and there is a script that's, that's written for you. So maybe it's the birth control pill, maybe it's a statin, maybe it's, you know, whatever it is, I would really want to try and get an understanding of of the risks as well as the benefits. Cause mm-hmm. one of the things that I see that, ha- and this is not, you know, if, if you understand the risks and you still make the decision that this is a good intervention for you, then do it. But I think more often than not, and this is what I think you were referring to earlier, when women feel that they're unheard, that they have been rushed through these appointments is that the medical doctor has not adequately explained the risks. And I think as a very fast paced modern society in general, you know, you can't just blame the medical doctor for this. Like the patient will go in saying like, I want something fixed and I want it now. Like, I need you to do something for me. Like this is unbearable. So it's sort of a dance between the willingness of the patient to say, okay, am I, have I mastered some of these foundational lifestyle uh, interventions Um, and if I have, and I'm still in need, then maybe there is an intervention there from your GP. And I would also, you know, as a, as a, you know, as a doctor who spent 16 years in private practice, you know, give your doctor the heads up that you want to have this bigger conversation. Mm. Cause I would have, you know, I would have, um, I sort of, the way that I used to structure my day was I would have a certain allocation in the day for a new patient or report of findings for like, these are longer appointments. And then I would have shorter, uh, appointments for body work, you know, body mm. work doesn't 
you know, once you've mastered adjusting and rehab, like it's not as big of a time, um, Mm -hmm. you know, intervention. So if you have someone who's coming in for a 15 minute appointment and you're like, Hey, I have seven questions. I need to ask them to you right now. Like the doctor is going to be like, I like, I have 30 people in the waiting room. Like I can't do this. So I would call the office ahead of time and say, Hey, you know what? I have some questions that I would like to ask my GP. Can she or can he set aside some extra time for me when I come in on Thursday or if that's not possible next week. Yeah. And so when you are, when you do have that appointment where the, the doctor is expecting you to have some of these more elaborate questions, you really want to understand what some of the long-term consequences of taking medication might be. And, you know, with PubMed now, it's relatively accessible to most people. Like you can kind of do some of your own due diligence. Like it's not, it's your health, right? Like you have to help come to that decision with the coach, with the guidance of your medical doctor or your primary, whoever you're speaking to, but really understand what the, what the risks are. Cause I think, you know, as a society, we attach ourselves, like we get married to the allure, right? Of the, the so promise, true. right? It's like, ah, oh, the pro- I'm going to have no symptoms. I'm going to have to have, I can have sex without condoms. I can, you know, and then, <laughs> but then we divorce ourselves from the risks, right? And I'm, I, when I, when mm-hmm. I talk about sex without condoms, I'm referring to the pill, but we don't mm-hmm. talk about, you know, upping inflammatory pathways. We don't talk about, you know, killing libido about vaginal atrophy. We don't talk about any of those things. So really understand you know, what you're playing with. And then when you understand those risks, say, okay, am I, am I good with that? Like, am I okay with that? Right. And if it's a yes, then go ahead. You've made an informed decision. Yeah. I love that. The, the block that I see happening for a lot of women who would go with that approach might be where the doctor dismisses the downside. There's a lot yeah. of that where the yeah. doctor is like, oh, there's not a lot of risks at all. Mm-hmm. And so then do you ask to see, like, can you point me towards some research? Do you have to go look at the medication you're taking? Um, what do you do if you're as like, cool, well, can we read the insert together? And can, uh, you, explain, yes. can you explain what yes. some of these things mean? And do you think that this is applicable to me, given that maybe, you know, my labs, you know, my history, maybe I have a, you know, a longstanding rapport and relationship with this doctor, like, you know, and, and maybe it is very low risk for that patient, right. you know, maybe right. it, it's, it's the doctor is absolutely on point with that. Yep. Um, but the, it's not just the doctor's responsibility to yep. make that decision. It's also, as I was talking about with evidence-based medicine, it's the clinician's experience, but it's also the goals and the dreams of the patient. Yes. I love so, that. Yeah. So I would, I would say, you know, if the doctor is very dismissive, it might be that they're right. Maybe that it, it isn't that big of a deal for you, given your history, given your familial, you know, if you have a no history of familial, you know, hypercholesterolemia or, you know, any, if we're talking about statins or whatever, you know, maybe, maybe it's completely fine for you, but maybe when you do your own research on PubMed, you might come to a different conclusion and you Mm. should feel comfortable enough to speak to your primary and say, well, what about this? Like this concerns me. Mm -hmm. And I think generally, um, you know, in, in sort of Western society, we say, you know, the customer is always right. And I think that the patient is usually right. Like heal thyself, doctor, like your intuition is always going to be better, right. Than mine. Um, I can use data to to conclude and to come to a, to a logical inductive, you know, inductive reasoning or deductive reasoning. But if the patient's worried about something, it's our obligation to address that with them. 
Yeah. If they're not and, willing and, to get a new doctor. <laughs> agreed. And what I, what I always tell my patients is what you're doing in the act of what you just explained is you're actually training your doctor to start to think at a deeper level. So if that doctor starts getting multiple women coming in and saying, tell me the risks, how, is this something I have to be a medication I have to be on for the rest of my life? When that, when we start those conversations over and over and over again, you're, there becomes this, uh, this opening that starts to get the doctors, the good doctors, hopefully to think a little deeper and see what the needs of the patients are. But when we go in, we dump our symptoms out, we're given a prescription, we walk out and we just accept that, then we haven't helped the doctor see what we're needing. So I'm all about creating collaborative conversations. How do we bring all these amazing doctors and healthcare professionals together to benefit women, which is why I love books like yours and discussions you're having and I'm having about, okay, women, we have to do this different. And I love that we've started this with, it starts with how you communicate with your doctor. That was what doing this different looks like. And I hope the women listening to this are grabbing that. Before I dive into things like, I want to talk about exercise around your menstrual cycle and some of the fun things that you and I uh, will enjoy geeking out on. Let's help women understand why does a woman need to think differently about her health than a man? Like, let's go to the basics because I'm sure you're finding this. So many women are have no idea about her hormonal cycle, are so out of touch we have no idea we're supposed to be doing things differently than men. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually one of the big reasons why I decided to write the book. So I was doing a presentation to these like seven and eight figure female entrepreneurs. I was invited to speak. And the I, the topic of the um, presentation I was giving was how to use your menstrual cycle to make a million bucks. So that was like the fun oh, you know, title, right? I love and it. So these are very successful women, right? These are entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, like CEOs of companies and and whatnot. And these women have gone to every, you know, business growth, you know, ex- like any type of training that you can imagine to sort of get it a competitive edge. Like these women have, you know, been exposed to in some capacity. And so I gave this presentation. It was supposed to only be 90 minutes. And I was the last, uh, pardon me, it was only supposed to be like 45 minutes. And I was the last speaker of the evening. And then what ended up happening was this like two hour Q&A that followed. Like, what about this? And what about like these women had not been exposed to a what is a normal menstrual cycle, first of all, uh, versus what is a common, you know, common symptoms that we experience. And I know that you talk a lot about this, the difference between normal, which is you know, physiologically normal, supposed to happen with predictability and repeatability versus commonly occurring in the population, which people often conflate. We often mix up. Well, I get common headaches. I get common pain. I get, you know, we've, we've, especially around our menstruation, you know, menstrual cycle pain has really been normalized. And you see this in advertising, right? It's like, just take some mitol, just take some, you know, take a little, take a day off. And, you know, while there should be some cramping, right? Like your uterus is contracting, you're shedding an endometrial lining. It shouldn't take you out. Like you should still be able to do absolutely everything that you would do any other day of the month. So, so that was one of the, that was one of the big, like, okay, these women don't know. That means that 
like there's a vast majority of women that haven't seen a graph or even explained what their menstrual cycle has been since high school. Right. And even then we were probably like putting our hands over our ears going, Oh my God, make it stop. So, right. I think that for women, when I, when I train about how women are different than men, I often will give the parallel that men are like the sun and women are like the moon. So when we think about men, they will go through their entire hormonal milieu in about a 24 hour period. They will cycle through their testosterone and estrogen patterns in about a day. And for women, we will cycle through our testosterone and estrogen and progesterone and LSH and FSA, like all of our patterns, not in a, not in a 24 hour period but in about a 28 or 29 day period. So, and that's what we refer to as your menstrual cycle, right? So it's all very similar to the lunar cycle, right? So the lunar cycle, the moon cycle is about 28, 29 days. And so it's important for us to really distinguish ourselves from men in terms of our daily rhythms, because we are different every single day versus men who are different at different times of every day, but generally they are the same every day of the month. So the first thing that we really need most women in their reproductive years to be understanding is that distinct physiological difference of our reproductive cycle and for them to really start tracking, like to start tracking and getting amalgamating data on what it is that happens for you, particularly like getting data on what's the length of your cycle. How long is your bleed week? What happens in your bleed week? What's the color of your blood, the flow, the, you know, do you get cramping? Are there clots? Like what's the color change over, you know, there's so many things that you can start aggregating when you start tracking your cycle And then you can start overlaying that with nutrition and exercise and sleep and stress reduction and supplementation. But it really only, you know, it's, it's really kind of use useless, um, to, to think about, you know, being cyclical when you don't have any data on your cycle. Yeah. So so well said what, and I feel like this is a concept that we need to teach every 13 year old girl. Oh Yeah. Like if, why are we learning it when our hormones are a hot mess? Why don't we learn it in the beginning so that our hormones never become a hot mess? What, tell me what tracking device you like, because there's a lot of good ones out there. And I'm, you know, we, a lot of the, our listeners are menopausal women. A lot of them are post-menopausal saying, I should have done this years ago, Mm -hmm. but they also have an influence on the teenagers growing up and the 20 year olds. And so one of my mission cries has been, as you learn it as a woman, you need to turn around and teach it not only to other women, but we need to go down and teach what you just said, this concept of us, I love the moon analogy of our hormonal swings happening in a, uh, let's just use 30 day cycle. We need to know that from the beginning. And I love this idea of tracking. So yeah. what do you have a tracker you recommend or how do women go about doing that? Oh, there's, there's so many, I, I use clue, um, C L U E super yeah. easy. Um, I have the free version and it's just, you know, when your period starts, you enter, is it light? Is it medium? Is it heavy? You know, what's yeah. your skin look like? What's your sleep look like? What's your energy look like? And then you can go back as you're tracking, you can go back in the data and say, okay, so my sleep tends to be disrupted around day 25. You know, I have a really heavy periods the first couple of days, you know, my energy levels look like this during the month. So, um, there's, 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 there's so many of them. I I have, um, 
Gosh, like there's, I, there's, uh, you just have to go into the app store. Like Clue yeah, is my favorite. I was going to say Clue's yeah. my favorite too. It's the easiest. Yeah. When I first started using Clue, the Clue app in my early forties, I was like, oh my gosh, it has such a cool visual. Yeah. I was like, I should probably send this to my husband <laughs> so that he knows where I am yeah. and maybe even my staff. So they know like where, yeah. cause it, it has that little fuzzy PMS period time. Mm-hmm. And it, I was like, oh, this would be really helpful if you understood where a woman was in her cycle. Yes. You may be able to relate to her different. You may be able to understand her different. You would definitely know when her libido is at its peak. It, it It's a really cool visual that they give. And even just from a business perspective, I love that you're, you know, I wish I could share this with my, you know, my team members, because there's times of the month where you are much more articulate, right? There's times of the month where you have estrogen, just like bathing your verbal, you know, you know, your verbal centers in your brain around speech. So there's times where you should be, you know, recording a podcast like this, for example, (laughs) you know, like speaking, you know, publicly giving a presentation, asking for a raise, like there's so many any great uh, little hacks in terms of um, how you, you know, interact with your cycle and your career. Like that's another layer that you can really play with as well. Yeah. But, and why aren't we taught this? It's like, I'm 51 and I'm like, why am I just starting to put this into place? As I went through menopause, I, that's how I started to discover it because I wanted to understand what the missing hormones, why were they, why were they making me feel so weird? And, oh my gosh, well, what is, was it supposed to do? And it's just, it was a whole awakening for me in my forties that I want women to have in when they're 13. So I, I, that's why I, again, I love concepts like let's just start teaching them to track. And for the 13 year old girls, like any moms that are listening now for their 13 year old, 15, 17 year old daughters, also, this is a re- like 16, 17, 18, you know, shout out to uh, my colleague, uh, Nat Kringudis in uh, Australia. She talks a lot about, you know, this time, 15, 16, 17 years old, where your cycle becomes irregular. It is actually mm. part of your maturation where you yep. kind of start to look a little PCOS-y, like, you know, polycystic ovary syndrome-esque, you know, yep. you become infertile, maybe you miss a period. And then, you know, the mom is concerned, the daughter is concerned, they go to the doctor and they usually get a a, a script for a birth control pill at that time. And so, you know, if we knew that, Hey, just expect that, you know, in your early menstruating years, just like when you learn a new skill, you're not going to do it right. You know, right. You're not going to just ride a bike when you're, you know, a newborn, you got to learn, you got to learn a couple of like preliminary skills before you can walk and run and get on the bike and have balance and all that. So it's the same with our early menstruating years. There's going to be like little rough patches and just know that those are normal. That's not, there's some, there's not something abnormal with you. That's just, you know, the maturity of your reproductive system. Yeah. I love that. So walk us through, let's just say, I always say 30 days. I get, you know, it's 28 for some 34 for others, but let's just say, walk us through the hormonal changes that are happening in a 30 day cycle. So we can pull the listeners up to speed. And then I I would love to take that conversation and talk about, okay, how can we match exercise to that? How can we match the keto cycling that you talk about in your book? How can we match some of the everyday things that we're already doing? How do we match that to this cycle? Amazing. All right. So this is going to be like a, uh, 
you know, quick back of the envelope, menstruation 101. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> All right. So exactly. a couple, there's four main parts, right? There's four main um, areas of your entire menstrual cycle. So we have, and I typically divide them into four weeks just for ease, you know, 28 days, mm-hmm. as you said, 30, 32, you know, but just for ease, we're dividing these into seven day chunks. If yours is a little longer, you're going to shorten these. Uh, if it's a little shorter, then you'll, you'll elongate them. So the first week, you know, everyone knows popular girl, the bleed week, right? This is like when you can see what's happening. There's blood, right? This is the endometrial lining that has become uh, ischemic, meaning that there's been no oxygen that's, that's, that's been derived because the week prior we had a dip in progesterone and estrogen, and now there's no pregnancy. Your body's like, all right, we got we to gotta scrap this lining. We're going to do it again this month, see if there's another, see if we're going to have a, fer- a potential for a fertilized egg. So the bleed week is, um, I categorize that as seven days. Most people don't bleed for seven days. Um, You'll often find the average is somewhere between four and six. Um, But what you want to be paying attention to here from a hormonal perspective is you'll see estrogen is relatively low this week. Progesterone, she's gone. She's not really involved in the first half of the first two weeks of the cycle. The only hormone that really is around is um, something called FSH or follicular stimulating hormone. And she's kind of holding down the fort. And what she's doing is she's, as her name suggests, you know, she's a, she's a she in my world. I know. I love it. I love how you call it a she. It should be that. I love it. So FSH is developing the follicle, right? So the follicle is the pristine, you know, inside is the, you know, is the pearl, right? It's like the egg that we're trying to mature uh, to release around ovulation. So as I was saying before, a lot of things that you can be looking at this week, you can be looking at your, um, you know, the, the quality of your blood. So what's the color from start to finish? Most people will start off with like a deep red and then towards the end of the bleed, it's more oxidized blood. We start to see it looking brown, but there are other variations. I talk about some of the de- variations in the book and what that means. Uh, you might want to look at the flow, like how heavy your flow is. And of course, you've only ever lived in your body, so you don't necessarily know what heavy is versus light. So I put some parameters again in the Betty body for you to look at, but some general things to be looking at is, are you changing your pad or your cup or your tampon, you know, whatever, uh, more than two to three hours in the first two days, uh, more than 70 milliliters. Uh, if you're measuring it through a menstrual cup, um, is there clotting, right? Some clotting is normal. Uh, the size of the clots, right? So it should be less than a dime you know, over, like, if it's like kind of a size of a quarter, that's too big, maybe some Mm -hmm. signs of estrogen dominance, um, which we'll get to today. So that's kind of week one. And so you see, you finish the bleed and then what's happening hormonally as we move into the week before ovulation. So week two is all about now we're driving up. It's all about developing that egg. We want the egg to be mature so that we can release it, the follicle and the egg um, that that's housed within the follicle. So hormonally what's happening is we see estrogen peak. She makes her biggest and quickest um, apex um, in this week. So she'll go from, you know, in week one, we said estrogen is relatively low. I've seen labs that have been like 
five, six picograms per deciliter, all the way up to, you know, moving into week two, it can, it can climax from like five or six to like 500 or 600 picograms per deciliter. So there's a huge uh, ski hill, if you will, when you look at it on a graph in terms of estrogen concentration. And we also see in this week before ovulation, we'll see testosterone as well. So testosterone, this is where we, we call week two, like flirty, sexy, you know, you're like, you should be more interested in sex, like, a yeah. crude, you know, a crude measurement without, you know, looking at your testosterone levels is, are, are you wanting to have more sex? Are you wanting to orgasm more? I mean, that's mother nature's, you know, insurance policy to try and get you to have sex so that there's sperm potentially around, um, a couple of days before the egg is released. And then there can be fertilization, whether or not you want a baby. So just, yeah, right. you know, this is a time if you want to get pregnant, lots of penetrative sex. If you do not want a baby, then, you know, other things, right. Play with other, other modalities, other things. Well, um, so we, so we come to about ovulation is about, you know, call it 14, day 14-ish. It can be day 12, day 16. But for most people, it's right around uh, day 13, 14. The follicle releases the egg. And then the egg sort of waits around like the queen for the sperm to find her. Okay. so I love, I love your descriptive. It's like you could almost write a children's book on this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe that'll be my next book, actually. It's like, like you're telling me a story. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. I was on a podcast, uh, several months ago and I was describing luteinizing hormone. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't mention it, but LH is, you know, it also increases a lot in concentration in week two and it sort of comes up and then out. Right. And I always likened it to like, you know, whenever you go to like a family gathering, we all have that one, you know, uncle or aunt who sort of barges in like middle of the dinner comes in and is like, Hey, what's up? You know, like hits you <laughs> on the back and you're like, Oh, you know, <laughs> kind of what LH does, right? It comes in yeah. like a whirlwind, you know, causes the egg to be released. But these are the ways that I remember them. So I teach this this way, right? Super smart. Yeah. I love it. So after, so this is, these two weeks in general are the follicular phase. So you were talking about, you know, how do we layer in nutrition and, and, you know, exercise. So generally these two weeks, you're much more, um, attuned to restricting your carbohydrates. These are great yeah. weeks for keto, right? Great yeah. weeks for, um, for doing a restrict, like restricting the carbohydrates, maybe even the protein a little bit as well. I'll talk about some nuance uh, when we get to it with week two, but then when we move into the next two weeks, this is the, what we would call the secretory or the luteal phase of the cycle. So now the follicle has turned into the corpus luteum, right? So now uh, there's secretion of progesterone. We see estrogen drop, and then she comes back up again, sort of midweek of mid uh, week three. And then towards the end of week three and the beginning of week four, you'll see estrogen, uh, pardon me, uh, progesterone uh, reach her peak. And this is a, a distinguishing factor of the luteal phase is that progesterone is present. Mm -hmm. So when we think about progesterone, she is, you know, she stimulates our appetite. She helps us, you know, she has uh, potent effects on the brain in terms of uh, GABA uh, neurotransmitters. So she helps us feel cool and chill and calm, but she also slows everything else down too. So you may find that you're bloated, that you're not having as many bowel movements as you usually do. Um, and you're generally a bit more distended, right? So, you, you know, if you're eating a meal, you kind of just feel a little bit more gassy, distended, bloaty. Um, so 
that happens. So we have, you know, progesterone reaches her peak somewhere around the end of week three, beginning of week four. And then if there's no fertilization at that point, what we see is the corpus luteum is, you know, over the course of this luteal cycle is, is degenerating. And then there's not, then the, the progesterone secretion stops and the estrogen stops. And you see this like nosedive of both of these hormones. They come down together, crashing often together within, within a day or so. And then this is often the time where PMS, uh, you know, if you, if you have a tendency to feel more inflamed, if you have a bit more of metabolic dysregulation and dysfunction, you know, you're going to look a little bit more like you have that metabolic dysregulation during this time. You're a bit more insulin insensitive. Yep. And the PMS, the moodiness, the sleep disturbances, all of that happens here. Um, and then eventually you bleed, right? So eventually the, the endometrial lining is not receiving that progesterone anymore, becomes ischemic as we started off in the beginning. And then the cycle starts again. So uh, beautiful. I swear there needs to be a a kid's book that definitely, (laughs) or like a teenage book that, you know, we, a lot of conversations I've had with uh, functional medicine doctors recently has been about our own personal experience of health education that we got in our sex ed that we got when you, you know, we were in the seventh grade mm-hmm. and it was, basically, it was a banana and a condom and we were yeah. all like, Oh God, get me out of here. And, yeah. and it was, um, you could, you're bleeding now you can get pregnant. Here's how you manage your blood. Right. And like that explanation you just gave, like should be in a, some kind of pamphlet or book that every girl gets so that she understands that. And the two of the points that I really started to tap into in my own cycle, as again, I went through menopause is where it started to rear its ugly head. One is this thought that testosterone for women only kicks in at one part of that 30 day cycle for a man, it's surging every couple of hours. So, you know, in our relationships now, we're just assuming in a heterosexual relationship that you are, you could be an easy mismatch and there may be an ex, you may need an, uh, to explain to your partner when your testosterone is supposed to kick in and, and have a discussion about how he's getting it every couple of hours and yours is coming once a month. That sort of was my first interesting aha. Now, if you're in a same-sex relationship, you can also be mismatched and have testosterone coming at different times. But this mismatch of libido, I feel like based off of hormones coming in, could be a marriage saver, Could could save so much heartache if we understood our partner's pattern of libido based off of the testosterone rushes. Yeah. And I think for a lot of women, you know, as you just said, there's like this pulsatile component to testosterone in men. So they're kind of ready all the time, right? Like right. They're just like, right. Hey, we can go right now. But for women, you know, and I think that this is, you know, digressing a little bit from just the physiological hormonal pattern, but for women foreplay is all day long. You know, it's like, it's like the dishes are done or it's yeah. like the little sexy test, <laughs> like the little, Men, sexy- are you listening? The yeah, dishes like, being paint, done is foreplay. Notes. <laughs> <laughs> that Our, is like, that was golden there. I hope every man heard that. <laughs> or, you know what, honey, I thought you might be hungry. So I ordered you some, you know, like right. any, you know, if you can feed, you can predict when your woman is hungry, you are going to be getting so much sex, but I'm just. <laughs> yeah. I, and a foot rub would probably work too. <laughs> exactly. So foreplay for women, I think 
happens all day long. It's not just at the end of the day or the beginning of the day or whatever. It's, it's, it's the interactions that we have with our partners. So I've teamed up with Tony Horton. Do you know Tony Horton? He was the creator of P90X, one of the most revolutionary at-home fitness programs. And we created together a new fitness program called Power Sync 60. And it is literally, this program's never been done. It is a revolutionary 60-day program for both men and women. So here's why I want you to join us is that we literally created PowerSync 60 with you in mind. So it doesn't matter if you're a cycling woman, a postmenopausal woman, or a man, one of the things I brought to Tony was that when we work out, we have to think about our hormones. And he had never done that in the millions of workouts that he's created in his lifetime. We also included a free bonus meal plan and a customized tailor way you can eat right for yourself. Also, of course, we put some fasting in there and it was a beautiful meeting of the minds. So I, it, this is like a passion project that I'm so excited to share with you. And in order to get it, all you got to do is visit drmindy.org and use the code PS60PELS. So PS60 and then my last name, PELS, P-E-L-Z, to get 20% off. And you get lifetime access to the program. So that's drmindy.org and you use the code PS60PELS to join all of us. I'm actually doing this myself right now. So come join me, my community on this incredible journey. I am so proud to bring this to you. So I like that, you know, having an understanding of the differences in our testosterone and our estrogen patterns, because men and women have both just in different mm -hmm. concentrations and different patterns, as you mentioned, but also, you know, when we think about the, what, you know, what turns on a woman, it's like with the dishes being done yeah. or like, you know what, honey, don't, I got this. I'm going to put the kids to bed. Like you go and, you know, you do your, you know, your oral care. Like I, you know, up for, I'm just referring to my own husband. Cause I love to do this like really elaborate oil pulling and like thing that I'd like to do. <laughs> so if he puts my kids, to, if he's putting the kids to bed and I have time to do like my brushing my teeth and then the flossing with the essential oils and the oil pulling, and then I get to put oils on my butt. Like that is how I actually actually, you know, in many ways, like, you know, get into the mood for yeah. when the boys are like in their bed and he comes in and I'm like, I'm all like oiled up and feeling good and ready to go. Yeah. Oh my so, God. This is yeah. like golden. This is, I, again, I hope men are listening. So, okay. And then my other like aha in understanding hormones that I, I think women should grasp is this week before our period. Yeah. This progesterone, I have a chapter in my book called Dear Progesterone. I'm sorry I took you for granted mm. because I feel feel like I had no clue what progesterone was doing for me until I moved through my forties and it went away or as to your point, she went away. Mm -hmm. And as she went away, I was like, why can't my body relax? Why am I not able to sleep? What, there were so many things that I realized, why do I all of a sudden have anxiety? And I don't really understand this. So when we are feeling like slowing down the week before our period, when we're feeling like we want more carbs, when we are in more of an introspective mood, um, I want every woman to know that's okay. That's your, there's a physiological explanation for that. 
And that's a really important time in your cycle. So I will often talk about this idea that when we see progesterone and estrogen taking that nosedive, right? So that there's no fertilization there, you know, the endometrial lining is about to become ischemic and we're going to shed it. This is when we as women tend to move into, you know, what I would call a negativity bias. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everything annoys you, right? Like your kids annoy you, your husband annoys you, your job annoys you. You can't pick the right nail polish. All your clothes are the ter- like the worst, you know, and, but that is such an important part of your cycle not to be disregarded because that is your body asking you to look at the parts of your life or the people and the relationships that you have that are not working right now. Mm-hmm. How is the parenting relationship not working right now? How is your relationship with your partner not mm-hmm. working right now? How is this career, how is your boss or the career that you've chosen not serving your soul? This this time, this like three or four days where you're weepy and you're like, everything is wrong. That is your soul saying, these are the things I need. These are the things I need. And I think we generally want to ignore it. We want to push through it. Yep. And I've seen memes on the internet where it's like, you know, last week didn't make sense. And then I got my period and it's like, oh yeah, right. You know, but if you, you say, okay, I know, like if you track your cycle, you know, when that's happening, first of all. And so what's coming up for you emotionally, pay attention to that. These are the whispers from your soul. That's like, here's how, this is what I need you to do for me, girl. Like, this is what we need to be focusing on. Yeah. And I, it's kind of like fasting. You know, we do a ton of fasting with our, uh, our group, our resetter group. And I always say when you get that agitation or that thought that pops in your head, when you're 17 hours into a fast, it's an opportunity to understand your belief around food and how you use food. And it, it, I I had never thought about that with that week before your cycle. So that was incredible. Yeah. Well said. And again, I hope everybody's taking notes and listening to that. So map, now that we've done a basic understanding map exercise, you already talked a little bit about keto exercise is a huge one. And, uh, you know, as a former competitive athlete, I also had to learn that as I moved through my forties, yoga was going to benefit me a lot better than trying to run a marathon. And I love how you map exercise to the site, to your menstrual cycle. So talk a little bit about that. Well, first, let me say that the type A personality in me honors and loves the type A personality in you. Because <laughs> you. You, if you are a competitive athlete, you are competitive with yourself, you're hard on yourself. And what tends to happen is you tend to put like put your head down and punch out the workout, even though you don't feel like it. Amen. And, yeah. And what, ha- what often happens is I'll have women come to me and say, you know, I don't know, I've been doing like five of these like HIIT training workouts, you know, this week, and I've been doing it for like four or five months and the weight keeps creeping up and my belly fat is going up and, or you know, I can't seem to get rid of this belly fat. And, um, really this is, this is a cry from your body because if you are doing that much high intensity, like I love, I love HIIT training, right? There's a time and place for it. And we'll talk about how there's times in your cycle that you should not be, um, you should not be training HIIT. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But if you are constantly working out as if you are about to die, like if you need to, if your heart rate needs to get to like 170 every time, that's not appropriate. You're sending this stress signal, like, Hey, every day I got to run away from a tiger to save my life. Like I got to hold on to some fat, like a bit of an insurance policy here, Mm. because this is not a safe situation for me. So 
With that said, um, I think that when we, I'm a really big fan of resistance training. I think that it trains your resistance. So it makes you harder mm. to kill. So whatever <laughs> pandemic and whatever virus and whatever mutant and variant, and you know, the, the, the better, and more muscle mass that you have, the more, um, you know, generally speaking, your immune system is going to be healthier. Your met metabolism is going to be healthier, your mood, your energy, all of these things are going to be ameliorated. But I would say that, um, the, the way that you resistance train and the way that you apply your cardio, um, should change through, through your menstrual cycle. So for example, um, training, with heavy weights, I think, or moderate weights, I think can generally happen all through the month, but you're best suited for moderate. And when I say moderate, I'm saying somewhere between call it eight to 12, 15 reps. Okay. So whatever that number, whatever that weight class is for you is going to be different for everyone. But generally, you should be able to punch out three or four sets of eight to 12 repetitions. That is really well suited for your bleed week. So obviously, the first day or two, a lot of people feel quite lethargic. So if that's you, you know, take like go for a walk, Pilates, yoga, as you said, uh, spend some time um, in nature, uh, a lot of cross crawl stuff. So the walking uh, is really mm. good for the corpus callosum. Really, really love that for day one, day two of your, of your bleed week. But then once you kind of get into the rhythm of your period, I think it's appropriate for you to start lifting moderate weights. As we move into week two, so you stop the bleed. Now you're in that pre-ovulatory phase your, as we said, testosterone peaks here and so does estrogen. So these are two anabolic hormones, meaning that they are growth hormones. So this is a wonderful time to profit. This is the one time that testosterone is going to have this big peak. Yes. Yes. So you want to profit from that by lifting heavy weights. And when I say heavy, five to eight, five to eight reps. So that means that the weight class is going to jump. You're going to, you may need a spotter, um, but you should be, you know, the last three repetitions should be incredibly difficult and you should only be able to do somewhere between five and eight. This is also a time for you to stay away from high intensity interval training for the exact reason why you should be doing heavy weights. So as estrogen comes really high in this pre-ovulatory phase, what we know about estrogen in terms of its effects on the musculoskeletal system is that it makes our ligaments more lax. So more when we say ligamentous laxity, that's just like a fancy word for loosey-goosey, right? Like your ligaments are loosey-goosey and it makes your tendons stiffer. So Stiffer tendons, I mean, obviously there's a continuum. We don't want them so stiff, but when they are stiffer, then you can lift heavier weights because now let's say if you're doing a bicep curl, the as you are contracting the bicep muscle, the bicep muscle is going to be pulling on a stiffer tendon, which can pull on the bone. So you can actually take your weight up this week, but with burst movement, with explosive movement, with mm -hmm. high intensity stuff, you are setting yourself up for injury. If you're doing HIIT training here, because of those loosey goosey ligaments, when you do any type of burst movement. So if you think about like a burpee or a sprint, or, you know, even if you're doing like a bike ride and then, you know, the instructor says, okay, like every, everything you got for 30 seconds or, you know, an all out balls to the wall, like 45 minute sprint or 45 second sprint. Um, you are the, the tense, the, the tension that you are putting through these ligaments, particularly I'm talking about the knee, um, and the shoulder. These are two very, uh, joints that are very susceptible to injury. Uh, you will injure them this week. 
Like you will tear the, the second week. We're in the second, second week. week. Second yeah. week. Okay. So you'll tear the labrum in the shoulder. You'll, you'll rupture the ACL. And we actually see this in the data. When we look at the propensity of, uh, where we see the most injuries in women when they are not menopausal. So when they are in their, you know, reproductive years, it tends to be ligamentous injuries. And then when we transition into menopause, we actually start to look more like the guys in terms of our injuries now are not ligamentous in nature as much, but they move more now towards muscle strains because we don't have the ligament. uh, We don't have the estrogen making our ligaments loosey goosey anymore, or at least that, that, that high fluctuation. Yeah. So stay away from that week. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then what about when you move into the week before and progesterone's high, is that a time we want to change like hardcore marathon running or, you know, progesterone so susceptible to any increases in cortisol? Is there something we should do different that week? Yeah. So when we're thinking about the luteal phase, so week three and four. So now if you look at estrogen, we see a bit more of a sustained, uh, uh, release of estrogen. So high intensity interval training is completely appropriate in week three and four, but a lot of times in week four, we don't feel like it, right? right. Like we, we're like kind of like achy and inflamed. So in terms of the resistance training, I like to actually bring down the, um, the, um, the weight, but increase the repetition. So you're still bringing the muscle to fatigue, but you're doing it in a a slightly gentler way. So you Mm. bring the weight down in terms of the weight, uh, the amount, the absolute amount of weight that you're pressing or pulling. And then you are maybe now doing 15 or 20 or 25 reps. So you're still working the muscle, but now it's really more of like a flush. Like you're kind of flushing, trying to flush out, mm-hmm. you're getting the myokines that are being released. And now you're, you're going to be um, reducing inflammation. Yeah. And if you're someone who is very stressed, so this is all women until proven otherwise, right? If you are, <laughs> if you are someone who has had long-term chronic stress that includes pregnancy and child rearing, uh, sleep, uh, disturbances, which we know happens when we're mothering our young children who don't yet have a circadian rhythm that's established. Um, you know, you're taking care of aging patients or parents rather. And there's, you know, all the things that happen with life. Um, it's, it's important for you to be gentle with yourself. I think so mm-hmm. many women were like, no, i set out today and I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to do it. And like, these are my type A Bettys. These are like the Bettys that are like, no, I'm going to do it no matter what. And this is when you hurt yourself. So first of all, you're pushing your body. Your body's always smarter than you. Like your body, if you just listen to her, she's always smarter than you. If you need to modify your workout or, you know, your eating patterns, particularly in that week four, right? I actually love, as you said, increasing the total amount of calories, increasing the total amount of carbohydrates. You need it. You're building an organ. But if you don't have that flexibility of thought, you're like, no, I need to stick to this one diet. I'm going to do it all the time. You know, it's, you know, you know, Vegas or bust, then you're going to bust. You know, it's like, it's with this all or nothing thinking, we usually choose nothing. So I'd rather you just modify it a little bit so that it's easier. It like health doesn't need to hurt, you know, like being, being, gentle with yourself and having the grace and the wisdom. I mean, you're, you know, if you're 40 or 50, like you're a smart woman, you've, you've had, you've had to get through stuff, right? You've had, there's been a lot of trials and tribulations. So being able to just, you know, go in a little bit and say, okay, girl, like, what do we need today? We need, we need to walk. 
okay, let's do a walk. You know, we're not, we, we had planned for the 10 mile, you know, whatever, but today we're going to do a walk. We're going to listen to a podcast. I'm going to listen to, I'm going to go to the woods where I can get some of the, you know, the trees and that's what I'm going to do today. And I'm good with that. Yeah. Which is really hard for the type a woman. I, I mean, I will, it, I will say that that was my huge lesson in my forties was giving myself grace to say, I planned this workout and my body is telling me I need a different, I need a different thing to do. I need to get out into nature. I need to sit on the cla- on the couch. I need to do yoga because the way that my brain had always thought of that is I was being lazy. And it, yeah. it, when I got that into is a patriarchal my- construct, that is a patriarchal construct that our to-do list is our worth. So yeah. I, I, every type A person that's listening to me, trust me, I have been there. I am still there in many, like many yeah. days, you know, like that yep. drive to achieve is very much baked into my DNA, but it is the, it is the wisdom of aging, uh, in some ways where we have the not like knowledge is useless if it's not integrated into wisdom and you yeah. can ha- you can know all the, like most of us know all the things right we know fasting helps with our hormones we know we need to prioritize protein and whole foods we need we know that we need to move more but it's the gap between knowing and doing and that's the wisdom yeah. Peace. So well said. Yes. So it's the wisdom of saying, okay, like I know that, you know, doing a really heavy leg workout was on the schedule today, but I don't have it. I had a bad sleep last night. I'm really stressed at work. Something's happening with my kid. Like I'm just going to be gentle on myself. This is where we can move. That's actually how you'll get way more results because you know, this doc, you know, that like all your, reco- all of your results, it doesn't happen in the gym. It happens when you recover. Yeah. So you're talking, we're talking about muscle gains a lot today. Your muscle gains don't happen in the gym. They happen when you take a couple of days off and you allow for the metabolic and the mechanical stress that you put on those muscles to heal. And that's when the hypertrophy and the strength gains and the power and the explosion gains happen. Yeah. So well said. Okay. What does the perimenopause and menopausal woman need to know uh, about if your cycle is hard to predict or you don't have a cycle, you know, the postmenopausal women, uh, you know, our our hormones are really going low. How, what do we need to know about diet and exercise for that time of life? I love this. So I included this as well in the book. And I think that for women who are menopausal, postmenopausal, so you're not, you haven't had a cycle for at least a year, um, instead of following, you know, the cues from your bleed week and ovulation and test, we don't have that anymore. Right. So as I was saying before, men are like the sun, women are like the moon. I still think that menopausal women, just by being, just by nature of being a woman, we are cyclical creatures. So I like to follow more of a lunar cycle. So the lunar cycles, you know, 28, 29, 30 days, depending on the month. And generally, you know, the new moon is where we let things go. This would be equivalent to the bleed week in our, Mm -hmm. in our menstruating women. So the bleed week is where we can do moderate weights. We can do the keto, you know, the waxing moon, which is, you know, sort of the, the moon, the new moon, you can't see the moon in the sky. The waxing moon is sort of the crescent moon. 
And this would be akin to, you know, the pre-ovulatory. So you can lift heavier weights uh, during this time. You can, um, you can, you can still do HIIT training as a menopausal woman because you don't have that really high fluctuation. If you if there's like a Peloton class that you love, you know, go for it, have at it. Um, but heavier weights is really called for here. And then you're kind of cycling, right? So you're doing moderate weights, new moon week, you know, the uh, waxing moon, you're doing heavy weights in the waning moon, which would be week three in your uh, menstrual cycle, you come back to those moderate weights again. And then the, um, week four, which would be, uh, or pardon me, the full moon would be your ovulatory, um, right. Yeah. Moon or sorry, your middle of your cycle. So this is again, like the same thing, the waxing moon to the full moon is when we do those heavy, heavy weights. And then the waning moon is week three back to those moderate weights again. And then week four is the dark of the moon. So again, this is where we see the weight, that crescent moon kind of disappearing. And then, you know, you're doing lighter weights that week. You're taking some recovery days, right? You're going for the walks, you're doing the yoga, you're doing the Pilates, you're doing the, you know, the, I love to put some, you know, podcasts in my ear and I go for like an hour or two hour walk. Um, and that's how I would structure it for, for her. I would yeah. still, I still like to cycle the keto. So I would do week one and three where she's doing more of a ketogenic specific diet. We know with menopausal women, generally they tend to be more insulin resistant. So uh, as we age, it's just a sort of a natural progression. As we start to see estrogen dipping, we also see our insulin resistance in increasing. So one and three for week one and three. So that would be your, uh, new moon and just after the full moon. And, um, I like a higher protein, like weeks two and four, I like higher protein in those weeks. Yeah. And we're doing that for our menopausal ladies also. And this was, this is also true in our menstruating women to profit uh, to, to create more muscle. You know, one of the things we want as menopausal women is we want our bone density we want to be concerned about bone density and our, and our lean muscle mass. Yes. So the more you lift weights, the more you are creating and, and preserving the muscle tissue that you have, but you're also it directly influencing your bones. So your bones and your muscles, they're sisters. When one is you know, dense, you have a lot of it, you have a lot of the other. And as you lose muscle, you will also lose bone density. And you probably know this, you know, more, even more than I, but women who are osteopenic and then even move into osteoporosis, the one thing that tends to to take them out is like a silly little fall right. or a little trip, or they, yeah. you know, they fall on these, like we call them like foosh injuries, right? Like fall on outstretched mm -hmm. hand injuries. And then you get this like fracture along a long bone. Like you fracture the hip, you fracture the humerus, you fracture the femur, and then you can't do anything right? Yep. Then you're out of commission for three, six, nine months, which then has knock-on effects on your cognition and your brain health. It has knock-on effects on your, obviously your body composition, your mood, your energy, all the things. Yeah. And I, I really hope that people listening are like, whoa, I've never thought of my workouts plan in accordance with my hormones like that. Yeah. I mean, when I was in college, I played competitive tennis and I had a bunch of injuries that I was struggled to heal from. And now I look back and I go, oh my gosh, if I had just been thinking about my workouts, according to where my, the ebbs and flows of my hormones, 
I may have never even had those injuries, injuries that led me to surgeries. And then when you go into perimenopause and menopause, it's like, A, you're fighting for the motivation to work out and you're you're losing muscle and you never think, oh gosh, in a 30-day period, I should probably time and change the way that I work out. This, I hope it becomes a common language, but I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are like, whoa, never thought of it this way. And I hope, I hope people are having that aha moment. Do you find, are you getting a lot of that from your book? Cause it's a lot just of it. Yeah. Such a, a great concept. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, a lot, it's been really well received uh, by the public as well as my peers, which is always really oh, important. Yeah. So, but a lot of people are like, I've never, I never thought of it like that before, or I was always scared of doing keto or I tried keto and it didn't work for me. And I was yep. like, well, you probably didn't do it like a girl, you know, like right. the, the, you got to do keto like a woman, you know, in order for it to be sustainable for you. So we talk about what keto is for, you know, a woman versus like the bacon butter burgers and repeat, which is often sort of like this dirty type of keto. Um, um, that we right. see uh, propagated in in sort of you know with keto experts and as long as it fits your macros, it's like right, no, no yeah, no. or or yeah, the keto yeah. experts say no, women shouldn't do it. We we right. actually came up with something called a fasting circle that does a thirty day cycle and looks at. I teach six different fasts, and it shows when you can use each one of these fasts according to the cycle. So I'm actually geeking out listening to you. I'm like, yep, yep, yeah. That's so. I'm thinking as you're talking exercise, I'm thinking, yeah, that's when you can do this fast and that fast. Yes. And this is when you shouldn't fast because we saw so on my YouTube channel, I got so many women who came from uh, the hardcore fasting world and was like, my hair is falling out. I'm losing my cycle. And it was like, wait a second. Yeah. 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 Can't do it this way. So I just, I I love love that that I love, I love that you have different, I talk about this in the book as well. There's different, I I sort of talk about like, there's three levers you can pull with fasting. One is like the frequency, the, the type of fast, and then the, and then the sort of the severity, like, is it a water fast? Are you doing caloric liquid fat? Like, is it a bone broth fast? Are you doing fasting mimetics? So I love that you talk about that because I think that most people assume that fasting is just either a dry or a water fast when there's so much nuance in terms so of much. how you you can apply fasting as a woman, not only to your cycle, but you know, to whatever your goals are. Like some people say, well, does a coffee break a fast? And does this break? I mean, that's, I don't know if you, I find that's like the most common. I I answer that question like 10 times a week. Yeah. (laughs) I should have it tattooed on my arm. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. And like the short answer is, well, what's your goal? Exactly. Like, is it it digestive? Is it a digestive goal? Are you trying to heal the gut? Are you trying to lose weight? Are you trying to do it for clarity of thought? Like what's the goal? And then you can answer the question based on what your goal is. So yeah. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. And exactly. We do a, I do a YouTube live every Thursday and I get every Thursday I'm on there for an hour for my community and I get questions all the time of like, what should I, what fast should I do for this and for that? And my, my, always my response is, well, it depends what you're trying to do. What are you trying to do? And I think a lot of the problem that we have is the one size fits all uh, mentality that more conventional healthcare has taught us. We try to bring that to more alternative strategies and there is no one size fits all. And then from there, we have to look at the fact that we're a woman and that we need to match it to our hormonal cycle, which is why I just 
love what you're talking about because I'm over here talking about it. You're talking about it. We, I've seen a couple other women talking about it and we need to amplify our voices so that women hear this and start to implement life differently and stop the suffering. It, it, is, it is time. We are, we are no longer in a place where we need to do this like men. We need to do it like women. And we need to understand what that means. So I just, I love this. Can I get an amen? Yes. Yeah, amen. Mic <laughs> okay, last couple of things. And then I've got some questions, uh, rapid fire questions for you. There sure. was something that you put in your book um, it, that you I re- it was on Amazon when I was reading some of the things that I was like, whoa, what does she mean by that? And it was, you say that your more that our morning routines are sexist. Yes, yes. yes. What does that mean? <laughs> All right. I'm so excited we're talking about this. All right. So um, yes, I proposed in the book that the way that we know morning routines are they're pretty sexist. So if you think about some of the, you know, morning routine expert gurus, they wake up at some ungodly hour, like three o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock, and then they have like a tea ceremony. And then they have like, you know, ideation and they write, they'll read like half, you know, like 30 to 50 pages, and then they'll go and work out for an hour. And then from there they'll meditate and then they'll do all these things. And it's like, okay, if you're able to do that, like, God bless, right? Like amazing. But if I were to wake up that early, first of all, as a woman, my sleep cycle is longer than a men's by at mm. least 15 minutes, but in some cases up to 45 minutes. So cutting your your sleep cycles short is pros- probably, you know, probably one of the most deleterious things that you can do to your metabolism, mood, energy, body composition. So no, break up with the 4 a.m. club, not good for you. Love but also, it. where are your kids? Like if I woke up and I was like, you know, making tea downstairs, and then I was working out for an hour, my kids like they need, you know, they need to be dressed and brush their teeth and get dressed for school. And like, you know, so a lot of times when you hear these men talking about these elaborate morning routines, they usually have a wife or, you know, if it's a woman, there's some help, right. That's, that's doing some of the child rearing. So for women and for me personally, I used to feel like a huge failure because I would see these guys and it's like, yeah, and I write for an hour and then I work out for an hour. So well said. And it's like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do that? And it's like, because I have toddlers, because my morning routine was my kids like kind of, you know, coming into my room like, mommy, you know, that was my morning routine. Like they're waking me up. And of course it's changed now. My kids are a little older, you know, I have a 10 and an eight year old. So they sleep in generally on their own. Sometimes we get the odd nightmare or if they're sick overnight, like I'm up with them, but in for women with young children, you know, you're already going to be sleep deprived by nature of, because they don't have circadian regularity yet. They don't have a circadian Mm. rhythm that tells them to go to sleep, you know, every night at eight o'clock or seven o'clock, like you, that has to be trained over several years. And of course they also wake up multiple times overnight because of that. So you already have these sleep deprived women that are trying, and we put so much pressure on our women to get like, get back to the pre-baby body weight and get back, you know, get back and look at this, look a certain way, nine months up, nine months down. And it's like, F you, like I am breastfeeding. Like I, you know, I breastfed my kids, my first uh, child, I breastfed him for 18 months. 
uh, which I thought was long. And then my second child had breastfed him for three freaking years. Like he oh could my not gosh. give up the boob. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I just have to go. This is what my baby needs. And this is what I need to do right now for my children. So I had no morning routine for like close to five years. And I started off as I think most women do feeling like we're failures and why can't we do this like everybody else? And why, like, these are what the experts are saying until you realize that the experts are men and they have no idea. Like most when in the book, I talk about um, consensus surveys and I took data from Canada, the U S the UK, like, you know, the Commonwealth and, and the, uh, and the Americas. And typically it's the woman who does the majority of the non-paid work. So she mm-hmm. goes to her job, gets, you know, gets paid for that, but then she comes home and she does cleaning, she does laundry, she does homework with her kids, you know, she stays up overnight, you know, puts them to bed, all these different things. So she's working around the clock, but she's only getting paid for the time that she's, you know, at her job. So it's completely sexist to to expect that women are going to be able to cut their longer sleep cycle short and then also do all of these things without having their children interrupt them because their little kitties need have, you know, needs that need to be attended to. Yeah. So I talk about, okay, what are some gent, what are things that you can spread out, you know, over the morning, right? Cold shower is one thing I propose. Like whenever you take the shower last 30 seconds, you know, even 10 seconds, if you're not used to it, like cold shower helps with, uh, reducing inflammation, helping with brain fog and, you know, increasing mitochondrial biogenesis. That's one thing we talk about journaling or even just doing some type of gratitude. So it could just be that your toddlers come into your room, they wake you up and then you open your eyes and you're like, I'm so grateful that I even had the ability to get pregnant and have these kids, you know, cause that's a, a that's a present that's not afforded to everybody. And then some movement. So I used to, the way that I used to get my movement with my kids is that we would put on, uh, what did they used to, Thomas the Train. Okay. So like, you know, they used to be obsessed with Thomas the Train. So we would put on that, that um, show tunes, like the, the, the songs that they had on that show and we would dance. Uh, you know, we dance in the morning and that was my workout. I would just take them and we'd be like, I'd pick them up and we'd be spinning around. And it was like five, 10 minutes maybe before they got bored to do something else. But that was my workout. You know, that used to be- yeah how I got my movement in. Yeah. So I'm thinking actually maybe men should do the parenting in the morning. That's what I'm <laughs> yeah. actually thinking should yeah. happen, but I yeah. love your creativity. So I wish my kids are 21 and 18. So nice. I, I wish I had known that I had thought of that uh, when they, cause I was also the woman who was, you know, going to work all day, taking care of the kids in the morning, taking care of the kids at night. And there was that moment of just like, wow, this is two jobs and yeah. it yeah. is a lot. And it is a hormonal uh, destruction that can happen that is happening to so many women. So, okay, well, this is amazing. I could talk to you for hours, uh, but I'm going to sum this up with five questions um, that just, you know, looking, doing some review on you and looking at your book, which I really want to encourage everybody to get your book. And we'll talk about how they get that in a moment. But here are, my, here are my five questions for you. So obviously you love exercise. If there was only one exercise you could do for the rest of your life to keep yourself fit, there was only one, you couldn't vary it to your cycle, but it's this, what exercise would that be? Sumo squats. Sumo squats, easy. That would be the number one. Because <laughs> it does everything, right? It awesome. does glutes, Okay, it does and legs, what is, yeah. just so we know, what is a sumo squat? So sumo squat is when you okay. are, you and step. it's a squat with a, 
Yep. Sorry. I think you were just cutting out a minute there. So it's a, it's a squat where your legs are a little further apart. Feet are turned out to about 45 degrees. Oh, I might. Yeah. I might've for a moment. Yeah. And then you come down and then you can either hold a bar. You can either put weights on your shoulder or you can also oh. hold a bar as well. Um, so you can do this with barbells, kettlebells, dumbbells, and you're getting your back, you're getting shoulders, you're getting abs, you're getting your entire lower legs. So sumo squats are my favorite. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Okay. So second thing, if you could go back to your 13 year old self and give her some advice, what would you tell her? Oh, that's a good question. I, you know, I just give that girl a big old hug. Like I would just, you know, say, you know what, girl, you're doing the best that you can given, you know, the life circumstances and the cards that you've been dealt right now. And, you know, everything about you is beautiful. You're fine. You're not broken and just keep going. Yeah. That's how I feel about my 13-year-old self too. Like, gosh, I wish I could go back and give her some advice. Um, yeah. Okay, what book has had the greatest impact on your life? Oh my goodness, what a question. Biggest, okay. So there's a couple of them that I've read several times. Um, the Alchemist, uh, Paulo mm. Coelho, I've read his quite a few times. Um, the art of war, um, I'm blanking on his name, uh, the art, the 50 rules of power and the, uh, the 50 rules of war, Robert Greene is the, is the author. Uh, do I, I am I only allowed to choose one? Is it just one book? No, you can no, Cause this is, you're creating a book list for people right now. Okay. Um, the women who run with wolves, uh, that was yes. a phenomenal book. And then the heroine's journey. Um, what's her name? Margaret Murdoch, I believe, is her the author's name. A heroine's journey. We always talk okay. about the hero's journey, right? The Joseph Campbellian, like you know, the separation, initiation, return. But the heroine's journey is written. Uh, she was a study. She was a student of uh, Campbell, but she wrote it specifically for women. So I love uh, that. Was I've read that book? I don't know how many times. Like, oh, 10, those are maybe. good. Yeah, yeah, those are good recommendations. Okay, if you could spend the day with anybody alive right now, who would you want to spend the day with? Hmm. Anybody alive? God, this is a hard question. Can I come back to it? Can I let my conscience yeah, yep. think about okay, it? Okay, so that yeah, then my last question is if you had one message you could get in every woman's brain mm-hmm. that uh, in the whole planet, it was like a one line, one two, two line message that you could help her see life differently or help her address her health differently, what would that be? Uh, I would say that it's just like the Wizard of Oz. Everything you need to go home, you already have. Everything within you is already all there. So, you know, it, it's really just about unhitching, you know, yourself from the patriarchal sort of toxic society that we live in, where we think that achievement is related to your worth, but your worth is actually inside you. So all, you just mm-hmm. got to, you know, click your heels twice to go home. It's, it's, it's you know, it's a little... A little bit more complicated than that, but it's the same principle that you are, you're already who you are. You, yeah. You're you're already everything you need. I love that. I love that. Okay. Who are you going to spend the day with? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Um, I would say, you know who I would spend the day with actually? Diane von Furstenberg. So Ooh. she is the, you know, the wrap dress. She's really well known for that. Um, but she is, you know, when we think about 
big, when she sort of came up in like the sixties and the seventies with this wrap dress, it was very, as you know, fashion and fashion houses were all very male. Right. Mm-hmm. And when we look at the difference between fashion houses that are men, we would see these like really, you know, like very constructive, uh, you know, the, the models sort of were not, not unrealistic, but kind of unrealistic for like what the morphology of the typical woman is. And I think that uh, von Furstenberg DVB's dresses were kind of the first that were like, we're going to use some fabric that is an everyday fabric, like a jersey that most women, like you're wearing jersey, I'm wearing jersey right now, uh, that we would, we feel the most comfortable in. And it would, it was something that every body type could, um, mm-hmm uh, you know, could wear. And I think that her, I've listened to her talk on business and how she views the world and how she's, she pushes when she needs to push, but she breaks when she needs to break and she's an achiever, but she loves herself. And it's like, I would just love to have lunch with her. Amazing. Wouldn't that be, it's just fun to dream about for a while, right? There's so many, so many wise women out there just to have a moment to sit and pick their, pick her brain. And, um, it's just incredible. And we're so good as women of the gift of gab and connecting with each other. And it would be really cool to tap into some of those incredible women. So, and I just want to tell you, this has been so much fun for me. So I really appreciate you coming on. And I have sat with that hormonal cycle for hours and hours and hours looking at the science on the, on fasting keto, and really trying to understand how to map this for women. And then coming out of that discovery and realizing everything we do needs to be mapped to this. And there were moments when I first felt that, that I felt alone. Like, why aren't we talking about this? And then books like yours appear and people like you appear and we have the, we just elevate the conversation and we're able to help women see this differently. So thank you so much for your book and, and please tell my audience, how do they find you? How can they connect with you? Well, thank you. And let me just reflect back to you that it's been wonderful chatting with you. We are like, you know, soul sisters, like, you know, we have very, very similar philosophy. So it's been a joy for me as well. Uh, so you can find the book is called the Betty body. Um, it has a bright pink, it has a bright pink cover me on a purple dress. Um, you can find this on Amazon, you know, worldwide, um, in the States, you can also find it in Barnes and Noble. If you're in Canada, uh, chapters Indigo, um, also has it. And when you do buy the book, I would invite you if you felt so inclined, we've also created some bonuses for you because I like to treat my Bettys. Um, so we've done nutrition, fasting, rehab and fitness programs. So if you head over to bettybodybook.com, B-E-T-T-Y, B-O-D-Y-B-O-O-K.com, they're free there for you to download. So I would love to have you have the programming as well as an accompaniment to the book. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, thank you for writing the book and let's just keep screaming this because women, if you're hearing this, please share this episode out get Dr. Stephanie's book, start the conversation with other women. Like we just have to bring this to the attention of, of women all over the world. So thank you, Dr. Stephanie, just keep shouting, but be sure you take some breaks too. Thank you. I will. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Sage advice. 
Hey, Resetters. I just want to start off by saying thank you so much for all your wonderful reviews and those of you that have left me comments on iTunes. I just greatly appreciate your thoughtfulness and how much you guys are enjoying these episodes. And it, and it seems like you're enjoying them as much as I am enjoying doing them. One of the things that I've learned in just interacting with so many people is that we've really lost the art of deep conversations. And for me, the Resetter Podcast stands for having meaningful conversations with people who are thinking about health, about life, about mindset in a way that we may not be getting on social media or in mainstream media. And so I just want to say, give you guys a shout out and just say thank you for participating in this process with me. Because as much as I absolutely love delivering the information to you, I love even more knowing that it's impacting your life. So please let us know if there's anything we can do to make this podcast more customized to you, to make it better. We are now officially in season two, and we are working to bring you the best conversations that health influencers have, that mindset changers can give, and to really deliver you something that you're not able to get anywhere else. So from the bottom of my heart, as I always say in my YouTube, from the bottom of my heart, I am deeply appreciative of you. I am deeply grateful to be on this journey with you and let's get healthy together.